And now, the time fight fans all across the globe have been waiting for. It's the Trackstar Sports MMA main card with your man, The Voice. As always, let's start off with some headlines and hot takes. There have been two sets of rumors floated out this week about potential landing spots for the UFC's broadcast rights. One by TerezeOwens.com, the other by Variety, both bashed in some truth. The only constant in their stories is that it's looking like the broadcast rights will go to multiple carriers, uh, two specifically, and the only constant player in both of these scenarios is ESPN. Fox Sports and NBC have also been linked as other broadcast partners. Now, within the rumored deals, ESPN would have 15 live events a year, whereas the arrangements for the other partners is not as easy to come by. Supposedly, Fox would be willing to pay a little more than $200 million a year for their rights, whereas uh, people like ESPN or NBC may be willing to pay upwards of about $180 million a year. For Fox Sports, this is significant, especially for Fox Sports 1, because anywhere from like 30 to 40% of their programming is UFC-based. So to lose the UFC will be a major, major blow to their channel. If ESPN is a player in this, expect those fights to be on the new streaming service ESPN+. Plus. Now, the rights deal, if it were to go through as it's being proposed, will be worth anywhere from about 320 to 380 million dollars. Still a little short of the goal of 400 million that the UFC planned on getting this go around, but hey, it's still going to be much much more than they were getting or that they are getting in their current deal, which starting 2011 put them at 100 million a year. This year they'll make about 160 million. What's also been rumored, which is so very interesting, is that if this deal were to take place, certain networks would get access to specific fighters. So they would only be fighting on those individual networks. So you could see someone like Demetrius Johnson or Cyborg only fighting on ESPN Plus, where T-Wood and Miocic may only be fighting on Fox Sports or NBC. If that were to happen, because not only will those fighters be on those specific channels, but they would also then be marketed by those specific channels, it could give a much needed push to some phenomenal fighters who have the potential to be stars, but may not have the proper backing from the UFC currently. The Professional Fighters League released their roster and lineup for the first couple fight cards this week and really made a splash. 
if everything comes off as it is planned to, there's a $10 million pot at the end of the rainbow for all of the fighters to partake in. Six million of that will go to the champions in the six divisions that the PFL will hold. And those fights for the championship will take place on New Year's Eve. You've got 12 fighters in six in each of the six weight classes. One of the PFL's taglines is that there are no undercard fights. And that's because every single fight matters. The fighters have two regular season contests and the eight people with the highest point total will move on to the quarterfinals. To get points, you win the fight. You win the fight, you get three points. If it's a draw, it's one point. You can also gain bonus points by finishing the fight. The earlier the round, the higher the point total. So uh, if you finish in round one, you get three points. Round two, you get two points. Round three, you get an additional bonus point. Once they move to the quarterfinals, it's a single elimination tournament. The way that those fights and things are set up, because it's going to be a fairly quick turnaround, there'll be fights every other weekend. Will they all be in the same divisions? No, but still, it's a lot of fights in a very short period of time. And if you know anything about tournaments in MMA, yeah, they're made to be broken because people normally cannot recover in enough time to see them through. I wish the PFL the best and they've got some really great intentions, some nice things lined up and some fairly notable fighters within their ranks, specifically in the featherweight division. That's going to be something to keep your eye on. You got Alexandra Almeida, who is the former WSOF champ, which the PFL is just a rebrand of the World Series of Fighting. But you got Alexandra Almeida, Andre Harrison, which is also their former champ. Lance Palmer, another former champ for them. Marcus Galvo, who is a former champion for Bellator. You got Steven Seiler, Timur Valiev, and he is a beast. He's fought for them as well. Did not reach a championship, but uh, yeah, he's definitely someone to look out for. As well as Bekbulat Magomedov, who's only lost once. Lightweight? Yeah, no jokes there either. You got Will Brooks, Luis Firmino, Brian Foster, Jason, the Kansas City Bandit High, Ramsey Ninja, Tiago Tavares, Chris Wade. I mean, you got some name fighters that are throwing their hats in the ring, hoping to win a million dollars over the course of, what, about six fights or so. Which is not bad at all. Not a bad take at all. In the welterweight division, you got Abubakar Nurmagomedov, which is the cousin, uh, and they call themselves brothers, though, of the UFC lightweight champion, newly crowned lightweight champion, Habib Nurmagomedov. You got Jake Shields, former Strike Force champion, also former WSOF champion. 
Rick, the horror story. Bojan Velokovic, Yuri Vilfort, Joao Zeferino, Killers. Middleweight division, uh, it's a little lighter there for the PFL. Got Eddie Gordon, John Howard, and Danilo Villafort fighting there. Light heavyweight, got some got some okay names. Raheem Cleveland, who I believe was a former VFC uh, champion. Brandon Halsey, who was Bellator's middleweight champion, so he's moving up to light heavyweight. Vinny Magalhaes, Ronnie Marks, and then Samilio Rama, who used to fight at heavyweight and is cutting down to light heavyweight. Dan Spahn is also going to be fighting for them, and he recently fought on the Dana White Tuesday Night Contender Series. Uh, at heavyweight, you got Francis Marble Host, Josh Copeland, Daniel Gallimore, Jake the Honey Bear Hume, Sean Jordan, Mike Kyle, Jack May, Jerry Roshaw. You got some names. Now, granted, not as heavy hitters, no pun intended, especially being heavyweight. Uh, not as heavy hitters as the featherweight division has, but some solid names. And whenever you're dealing with heavyweights, uh, you're only a punch away from a stoppage. Again, I wish them the best. Haven't seen many, um, many tournaments as of late come off uh, the way that it's planned. I'm sure, they'll have some kind of alternates in there somewhere they'll probably need them because again it's highly improbable that the fighters escape without damage that will keep them from continuing uh it should be interesting though should definitely be interesting the 27th edition of the ultimate fighter debuted this week featuring a season of undefeated fighters both in featherweight as well as at the lightweight division they got a nice mix of characters including a guy who is half tony ferguson seeing as he's always walking around with a hat and some shades on and then half kobe covington saying that he'll be the most controversial person he'll stir up more stuff than anybody uh, to make a name for himself and shoot the ratings up. Uh, we'll see what happens with him. Um, the first fight was a really good fight. It was a lightweight fight between Joe Gennetti and John Gunther. Uh, Joe came in, punched John square in the face. Uh, John went in to grapple because he didn't like getting punched in the face. Understandable. <laughs> Not many people do. Uh, Gennetti slapped on a nice high elbow guillotine choke. And uh, it was lights out for Gunther. He tried to escape, but wound up going out. And uh, yeah, it was it was a nice, nice way to open things up. I look forward to seeing how this season progresses. Historically, or at least for me, as of late, I have not been keeping up with the Ultimate Fight. It's just not been intriguing. Even last season, which should have been intriguing because you had the women's flyweight champion being crowned. Yeah, I wasn't watching it. 
Uh, I think I watched one or so. Uh, we'll see how things go this season. Again, uh, the fighters seem to be very intriguing and have a lot of personality. So may uh, may get a little more of my attention this go around. Closing out the headlines and hot takes. Rory McDonald, who is the welterweight champion of Bellator, has been fighting as of late. Now, it hasn't been in the cage, no. And of course, he wouldn't do that unless he signed on the dotted line. He's been fighting on Twitter and telling someone, look, get your ducks in a row and sign on the dotted line if you want to talk all this mess. And the person he's referring to is none other than former Bellator welterweight champion and former one championship holder of that same crown funky ben askren oh man ben askren really got a bad rap in bellator under the former administration because his style may not have been as pleasing as everyone would like to see but he was thoroughly dominant and really puts you in the mind of uh, someone who is excelling now in Khabib Nurmagomedov. Heavy wrestling, heavy ground and pound, just domination from bell to bell. And it's interesting because this is, or I should say Nurmagomedov is the UFC's champion now. And the brass of the UFC is singing his praises but when Ben, who is undefeated, never lost in uh, MMA, when he left Bellator and was trying to sign with the UFC, they said, uh, we, we don't really like your style. Hmm, the style worked out really well for GSP, though. <laughs> and it's working out well for uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov now. <sighs> you know, who, who knows what's going to happen Hey, uh, would I like to see Rory and Ben Askren fight? Absolutely. I would love to just see Ben fight anyone who could possibly challenge him because his style has been, again, so dominant, so utterly dominant that he's made great fighters like the ones in Bellator, your Lemas and your Koreshkovs, yeah, look like children where they've been world killers and, and scaring other people. He just absolutely schooled them. So to see him against someone whose career is as lauded as Rory, as great as GSP. Yeah, it's something that any hardcore fan would pay good money to see happen. Your man, the voice, was in the building for Bellator 197. And I must say, it was time well spent. The undercard was, oh man, really, really good. I'm glad I was able to get there and see every single fight that Bellator had to offer. Because the vast majority of them were good fights lots of stoppages 
uh, some submissions, a lot of submissions, uh, KOs. I mean, you name it. It was taking place. It was going on and enjoyed it thoroughly. You can go to the Trackstar Sports Facebook page and you will see some live postings there as well as I was able to put some on the Trackstar Sports Instagram page as well. So feel free to check those out at your leisure. The main event had High Ridge Missouri's own Michael Chandler, who's supposed to be fighting for the belt against Brent Premis, but that didn't happen. So in steps Brandon Gertz. Gertz came in and he was giving it his all going against Chandler. Throwing some haymakers, missing them, but you know, being very game in things. Chandler got his hands on him, got him down to the ground, used that Mizzou wrestling tiger style got him down uh head and arm choke done deal the co-main event had justin lawrence and aj mckee that was a very very technical striking match uh but justin lawrence was just no match for aj mckee again he was game the uh pacific missouri native all-American kid came in, did all he could, but he was no match for the mercenary. The mercenary picked him apart, used his timing and his uh, his length to keep Justin Lawrence at bay, threw a couple spinning techniques just for good measure, walked away with the unanimous decision, kept his unbeaten streak going, and then called out uh, his nemesis in Bellator, James Gallagher. I don't know what it is about guys at SBG that just makes people want to call him out, but hey, uh, that must be something in the water over there. Uh, but AJ McKee and James Gallagher have been beefing for quite some time. They were on a car together over in the UK, and Gallagher was fighting one of McKee's teammates. And that's when everything got started. So uh, they're on a collision course to fight each other. Can't wait to see that happen. The curtain jerker for Bellator 197 was Devin Brock versus Kevin Ferguson Jr., a.k.a. Baby Slice. And boy, they could not have picked a better fight to start the card off with. Brock came in. They were both really sizing each other up, feeling each other out, trying to gauge distance to see how to properly engage one another in fighting. But uh, yeah, Kevin Ferguson Jr., Baby Slice, uh, used a little of his his dad's genetics (laughs) and uh, he caught Brock right behind the ear with a shot, jumped on his back immediately, sunk in the rear naked choke, done deal. Devin Brock took his first L, baby slice, went to three and one, and the crowd went crazy. Unfortunately, the voice's marquee matchup was right after that, 
And boy, did I pick the wrong <laughs> fight to be focused on. Um, Joaquin Buckley was undefeated coming into, well, not coming into the fight. He lost one fight coming into it, but he had done very, very well for himself coming into this fight. Uh, Logan Storley is undefeated, and his record shows quite a few TKOs. He's a renowned uh, wrestler. I believe he was an All-American at Minnesota, but it was just a wrestle fest. Just a lot of holding and hugging on the ground, and yeah, nobody wants to see that. Uh, Storley got the victory, but he didn't do much to raise his stock. The voices marquee matchup for the prelims. Again, I went with my heart instead of my head. I should have picked a different fight. I should have picked uh, Zach Buccia versus uh, Derek Barbaric. That was a phenomenal fight, and that's really where my head was. But my heart, in my heart, I wanted to see Josh Sampo fight shared uh, his history of being a cfa champion and uh going into the ufc winning his first fight losing three others and not fighting again since then and that was who quite some time ago 2014 i believe uh maybe 2015 either way it goes it's been a long time since he fought uh just a feel-good story teacher here in the st louis area uh, coaching, uh, wrestling, also at the school that he teaches at. So, you know, I really wanted to see how that fight was going to turn out. Uh, did not turn out his way. Uh, Dominic Mazzota won the fight handily. Sampo, his whole MMA career uh, prior to this fight was contested at 125 pounds. And it was obvious when they got in the ring that Mazota was just way too big for Sampo. Uh, he used that size advantage and that strength to get Sampo down to the ground and win the fight. Sampo did a good job in the third round, really tried to turn things around, but it was a little too little too late and the judges didn't even give him that round, even though uh, it was definitely his best of the contest. So overall, it was a great night of fights at the family arena in St. Charles. Love Bellator and I hate that the ratings were as low as they were. I mean, it was, like I said, it was a great night of fights. Uh, McKee and Lawrence did their thing. Uh, Baby Slice just, yeah, lit the house on fire and then Chandler in the end did the same thing uh, with his choke great night of fights unfortunately not enough people experienced the things that I got a chance to see much like Bellator 197 UFC on Fox 29 aka UFC Glendale was a night full of phenomenal fights that unfortunately not enough people got a chance to experience. I think a lot of the woes that 
both MMA organizations had over this past weekend was the fact that the NBA playoffs started and it just drew attention away from the fights. What it did not do was take away from the absolute mastery that these fighters displayed on this fight card. Notably, the main event, which was the fight of the night and potentially the fight of the year between Dustin the Diamond Poirier and Justin the Highlight Gagey. Ever since Gagey has come to the UFC, every single fight that he's in is a potential fight of the year candidate. And this one was no different. Oh my goodness. They were going at it. Poirier was much more composed and much more technical in his striking. Gagey, he just kept putting his head down and throwing, uh, praying <laughs> that he caught Poirier, which he did a number of times. But Poirier was able to weather the storm and stand in there. Something that I did not know if he could do because uh, literally, as far as standing is concerned, Justin Gagey ate his front leg up with leg kicks. And I just knew with all of the the damage that was inflicted by Gagey with the leg kicks to Poirier that it would sap Poirier's power and keep him from being victorious. And in that fourth round, which is the round where the tides turned and the fight ended, it looked as if Gagey was getting the advantage. I mean, like I said, he was really throwing those leg kicks. He was starting to catch him and hurt him with strikes. But there was a common theme that Poirier was able to continue with round over round. And that's when he got caught with the leg kick. He would come down the pipe with the one-two. And he caught Gagey with a good hard one, as he had been doing the entire fight. But the accumulation of punishment caught up to him and put Gagey on Queer Street. Dustin followed up with other strikes, followed him around the ring until the fight had to be called. Then Poirier promptly got on the mic and called out Habib Nurmagomedov. He shot his shot. Will uh, will it get him what he's looking for? Hmm. Don't know about that, but it at least keeps Poirier in the conversation when it comes to top contenders in the lightweight division. The performance of the night bonus, or I should say one of the performance of the night bonuses went to Alex Cowboy Oliveira, who stepped in on very short notice to co-headline the fight against the natural born killer. Carlos Condi, who looked really good within the beginning of the fight. First round clearly was for him. He was catching him on the feet with some crisp striking, got him down to the ground, almost got a submission in the final seconds of round one. Round two came about, seemed as if uh, the natural born killer was continuing down the same path. Um, and 
Cowboy caught him in a guillotine and put the squeeze on him so much so that he said that Condit went out, woke up, and was going out again. He, he felt him go limp and then wake up and, and uh, then try to tap. And he could barely tap. He was like hitting the middle of, not the middle, but hitting the air, trying to tap out because he was so out of it. Um, after the fight, Condit said that he loved it. You know, he was really geeked about being in there and fighting because he loves fighting. But he also expressed that the game may be getting away from him and it may be time to hang it up. I'm a proponent of people stopping before it's too late. And even though Condit has looked really good in these fights, he has, or I should say, in this last fight. His fight against Magni? No, he didn't. He looked uninspired. And I was like, dude, you need to hang it up. This fight, he looked good. Um, Cowboy was just a bit too much for him. Uh, I think had he fought against Matt Brown, things may have been a bit different because they're both in the same stages of their careers. And maybe doing that one again as a final farewell for him would be good, but if not, it's been a great career, and I, I wouldn't be sad to see him ride off into the sunset. The other performance of the night bonus went to Adam Wieserak, who caught Arjun Buller in a Alma Plata, only the second time in the history of the UFC that someone has been stopped by this shoulder lock and yeah he implemented it in a fantastic way didn't think it was going to be pulled off the announcers also were amazed by it but hey uh, it took place and Weezerick pulled it off and got an additional $50,000 for it now the voices marking matchup for the main card, oh, and that fight did not disappoint at all. Yeah, Cast Iron, Courtney Casey versus the Karate High Michelle Watterson. And you talk about momentum swings. Oh my goodness. Now, first round, definitely Casey. Casey took that no questions asked. The, um, the second round, though, Michelle Watterson really put it on her. And what was so interesting about that is that Watterson is a smaller fighter. I mean, both in stature as well as you could see um, as far as their weight was concerned. Watterson was a smaller fighter, which is understandable. Watterson uh, made her name as a 105 pound fighter now she's fighting at 115 pounds because there's no atom weight division in the UFC whereas uh, Courtney Casey is known as being one of the strongest straw weights in the division but it was Michelle Watterson's technique and strength that that was on display the little lady said look I may be small in size but I pack a punch and I pack a wallop and I'm strong in my little package and she kept 
taking Courtney Casey down to the ground and dominating her there. Got off some good ground and pound. Casey started falling in love with being on the ground and was way too complacent there because she was uh, trying to pull off some submissions and things of that nature. But the judges saw her primarily just laying on her back, you know, and not uh, not being successful. Although she was very close to being successful in that last round. I mean, with like 10 seconds left, she worked to finally get the arm uh, free in an arm bar on Watterson. Uh, but it was too little too late. Time for the match was over. And uh, they embraced. And he was like, man, that was a good fight. And it was. It was a great fight. Like I said, lots and lots of momentum swings. You would think that Casey had it. And then all of a sudden... Uh, you'd see Watterson take her down and then Watterson would have her down on the ground you'd see her unleash some ground and pound then up now uh, Casey has her arm and she's going for an arm bar Uh, it was a great, great fight did not disappoint another fight that did not disappoint was the Voices marquee matchup for the prelims with John Moraga and Wilson Hayes like the Casey Watterson fight, lots and lots of momentum shifts. Moraga did his thing, though. He is from Phoenix. Glendale is a suburb of Phoenix, still in the Phoenix metro area, and he made his city proud. Uh, what was so interesting to me, though, is that going into the fight, you would think that Moraga would have the wrestling advantage. He's the one who uh, has the wrestling pedigree. Hayes is known for his Brazilian jiu-jitsu, but it was Hayes' wrestling that was on display in this fight. He kept getting them with some nice double-leg takedowns. He just would not uh, let go. He continued to turn the corner and found some very, very unique ways of getting the fight down to the ground but the first two rounds were clearly for Moraga Uh, even though in the second round Hayes was able to do some controlling on the ground boy he caught uh, Moraga caught Hayes with a real nice flying knee (laughs) that knotted up his head Um, and again he did enough in the first two rounds to get the victory uh, two to one for Moraga. Uh, excellent, excellent fight. And again, just a great night of fights. This Saturday should be another night of phenomenal fights as the UFC touches down in New Jersey for UFC fight night. 128 also known as UFC AC that's right Atlantic City Boardwalk Hall is going down Edson Barboza and Kevin Lee headline the card both fighters are looking to rebound after recent losses Lee's strengths are on the ground and Barbosa's are on the feet I mean Barbosa is a phenomenal striker has some highlight reel knockouts of some spinning 
heel kicks and all kinds of stuff. Uh, but Barbosa lost recently to the new champ, Khabib Nurmagomedov, whereas Lee lost recently to Tony Ferguson for the interim championship. And Lee has never had a losing streak in his MMA career. Whereas Barbosa, yeah, he's been kind of up and down as of late. I will say, though, that his losses have been against either champions or former champs. As I stated, he lost most recently to Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is a champ. His loss before that was to the same person that Kevin Lee lost to in Tony Ferguson, the interim champ. So this should be a really, really good litmus test for the Motown phenom Kevin Lee. Because if he is to win, then it keeps him in title contention. At least keeps him in the hunt for the title. Keeps his name up there amongst the best in the lightweight division. Whereas for Barbosa, if he's able to win, it keeps him relevant. Keeps him from being so much a gatekeeper if he can win against someone who recently challenged for the title, uh, though came up short. Now, the co-main event, which I don't like to pick the co-main or the main as the voices marquee matchup. But in this case, I really have no choice. You got Frankie the Answer Edgar taking on Cub Swanson. Why is this the voices marquee matchup? It's because as soon as it was made, I had to know how this thing was going to play out. Frankie is favored in the fight, and that's understandably so. He submitted Cub back in 2014. Both Frankie and Cub are coming off of losses, and they're coming off of losses to the same person, Brian T-City Ortega, who will be challenging Max Holloway for the featherweight title. Frankie, however, is coming off his first KO loss ever. In his MMA career. Ever. Now when it happened. And this fight was made. It put me in the mind of Chad Mendez. Coming back. But it's closer akin to. When Michael Bisping. Fought Kelvin Gastelum. Three weeks after being choked unconscious. By George St. Pierre. At the end of last year. That didn't end well. For the count. And I'm really interested in seeing how things will turn out for the answer. In this fight, Cub Swanson has everything to win and nothing to lose. If Edgar gets his hand raised, this has happened before. So, hey, no harm, no foul. He beat me before. He beat me again. That's to be expected. However, if Swanson is victorious, he will have avenged a loss and thrust himself back into contention in the crowded featherweight division. This fight card, this main event card, I should say the main card has six fights on it. 
one of them being a heavyweight banger between Justin Willis and the Vanilla Gorilla, Chase Sherman. Chase Sherman is a social media darling, great follow, uh, uses Gift Jif so well that Gift Jif gave him a sponsorship. Um, but more than his social media prowess, he likes to lay hands rapidly and repeatedly in the cage. Uh, so look for this to be a fight that does not go the distance. Another fight on this main card that probably won't make it the distance is Tiago Mahetta Santos and David Branch. Man, the UFC has not done Branch any favors in this matchup. Not only is Maheta riding a four-fight win streak, he is a KO machine. Has a huge hammer tattooed on his chest. Looks like uh, Molnir that Thor carries. And he brings the hammer when he fights. Now for um, Branch, before losing to Luke Rockhold in his last fight in Pittsburgh late last year, he had not tasted defeat in five years. And after tasting defeat to now, granted, to the former champion. So, you know, no, uh, no harm there. You did lose to one of the best in the division. But then you put him in against a straight killer like Santos. Man. Now, most of Mahetta's losses, though, have come by submission. And that favors the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt branch. Uh, if he's not able to get it to the ground and get it to the ground quickly, though, could be not only the second loss in a row for David Branch, but also the second KO loss in a row. Brett Johns is going to be taking on Al Jermaine Sterling. And Johns is an undefeated Welshman looking for his fourth victory in the octagon and coming off of a performance of the night bonus in his last fight, taking out uh, former Bellator champ Joe Soto with a calf slicer. Like Frankie Edgar, Sterling will be competing for the first time since being knocked out in his career. Unlike Edgar, though, Aljo had four months off since his last fight. Dan Hooker. That's right, the hangman. Dan Hooker will be taking on one of New Jersey's native sons in Jim Miller. Jim Miller's out of Sparta, New Jersey. And he's lost the last two times that he's fought in the Garden State. Once at the Prudential Center and then the last time he was in Atlantic City, he was headlining against uh, Donald Cowboy Cerrone and got knocked out. So we're back, uh, not necessarily at the scene of the crime, but in the same city where uh, things did not go well for Jim Miller. 
He was looking for some hometown love in this outing, though, against the hangman. Now, Hooker, Hooker is looking to build on the longest win streak that he's had since 2012. Most of Hooker's losses are by subs, and that's where Miller excels. So look for Jim to get the fight to the ground to try to exploit him there. Because on the feet, it should be all, all for the hangman. The voices marquee matchup for the prelims is Corey Overtime Anderson versus Patrick Durgan Cummings. These two fighters are on totally different trajectories. Overtime has lost two straight by KO, where Durgan is looking for his third consecutive win. For a wrestler, Durkin doesn't have that many submissions, whereas Corey, Corey, Corey wins normally by knockout or by decision, um, or I should say by submission or by decision. Either way it goes, they're either going to go to distance or someone's going to be stopped. Um, either someone's going to get knocked out because, like I said, neither of them does a lot on the ground as far as submissions are concerned or they're going to go the distance they're looking to get back on uh, the winning track I should say that Cummings is looking to extend his win streak and a victory could put him in contention for the light heavyweight title being in such a shallow division whereas for Corey Anderson, if he wins, it gets him back on track. To keep up with Trackstar Sports, like the Trackstar Sports Facebook page. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram. New content gets released every single day except for Sunday on Anchor.fm, and we are bringing on new correspondents seemingly every week great shows great information covering all your favorite teams you need to make sure you are subscribing to our podcast wherever it is you get it apple podcast google play pocket cast overcast you name it subscribe you're going to get Excellent, excellent information from fired up fans just like yourself sharing our expertise and knowledge regarding your teams, your sports, Trackstar Sports. Make sure also, if you want to engage with us, that you join the Debate Fuel Facebook group. Debate Fuel is our flagship show that is the Sports Center for Trackstar Sports. And it broadcasts live on Periscope at 10 a.m. on Saturday mornings. You can get replays there or you can get the audio version on SoundCloud. Until next time, it's your man, The Voice, host of the Trackstar Sports MMA main card. And I'm sounding off.